Well, good morning again. It's good to see everybody. I hope your celebration of Christ's resurrection today with your family has gone well. Uh, I don't know what kind of family traditions you have, or maybe you're in the process of carving out some brand new traditions uh, right now. One of the things that uh, our family does following our, our time of worship here together, we'll drive to spend some time with our extended family at my sister's house. I'm grateful that she's willing to host everybody, and we'll sit down and enjoy meals and, and uh, have a great time together today as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And the truth is, obviously today is a day that's a special day that we know that believers all throughout this world have their minds on the resurrection of Christ, and we're thinking about that today. But truthfully, that's something that we as believers in Jesus Christ have the privilege to celebrate each and every day. Our hope our future, it's all anchored in Christ and what he, he came to this earth and ultimately accomplished on our behalf. And in the midst of all that you and I deal with during the course of our lives on this earth, we recognize that there are a lot of things that are, are uh, easily things that can prompt us to worry or tempt us to be fretful. But the portion of Scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning is a portion of Scripture that describes a conversation that Jesus had with his followers just after his resurrection. And I think you'll notice as a theme as we look through this scripture today that we don't need to be troubled because it's all going to work out. And Christ demonstrated that to believers, to his followers, as he appeared to them in his resurrected body. So if you would take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 24, we're going to be looking at verse 36 down to verse 49. And if you're using the Bibles in front of you, this will be on page 878. But Luke chapter 24, it's honestly one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. There's a variety of things that are contained in this chapter that I think help us to understand the totality of the Scriptures, and we'll be talking about that in just a moment. But in Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 36, this is what it states. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to gather together today celebrating your resurrection with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the music that we were able to enjoy together as we sang our praises to you, as you allowed us to just communicate from our hearts to you our gratefulness for what you've done on our behalf. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture today, we pray that you'd speak to us. We pray that you'd give us your wisdom and your insight. We pray that we would experience great joy as we recognize who you are and what you've come to this earth to accomplish on our behalf, that death did not defeat you, that you defeated death. We're grateful, Lord, for that reality. We pray that you'd speak that truth to our hearts this morning, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this probably goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central event of our faith, meaning everything that we believe rests on that singular event. If Jesus did not rise from death, our faith, Scripture tells us, would be pointless. If our Savior is dead and buried, then we are still spiritually dead, chained to our sins, and destined to spend our eternities as rebels who are banished from the presence of God. But Jesus is not dead. The tomb is empty. Christ rose from the grave just as He assured His followers that He was going to do. And He fulfilled what He said He was going to do. He did it. And because of His resurrection, we can be assured that we who believe in Him will also rise from, the, from death. As, as we trust in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us that He lives within us. The grip that sin had over our lives has been broken. The command Satan had over us has been nullified. And the sting of death has been replaced with the assurance of everlasting life. These are all promises that Scripture tells us are anchored in what Christ accomplished in His resurrection. And I bring this up today because obviously it's a day that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ together, but I also bring this up to encourage our hearts with the, with the same truth that Jesus was attempting to take the time to explain to His early followers in this particular passage. Basically what He was telling them, and likewise telling us, is that we don't need to be troubled. It's all going to work out. And He was demonstrating in bodily form right in front of them that what he was saying was true. Jesus has secured the ultimate victory on our behalf. He, he secured victory over everything that was torturing us. He secured victory over everything that was defeating us. And this is a kind of confidence that Christ was seeking to instill in his followers following his resurrection. That, that ultimately, all things were going to work out as we trust in him. And as we look at this particular portion of Scripture... And as we attempt to foster the same kind of confidence that, that uh, the early followers of Christ were learning to have in Christ, I think that there are several questions that are useful for us to ask as we look at this portion of Scripture today. They're the type of things that are introspective. They're the type of things that force us to examine where our hearts are in relation to the Lord Himself. And one of the questions that I think this portion of Scripture invites us to ask is this, why do you wrestle with doubt. Why do you wrestle with doubt? Look again at verse 36. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Now, by the way, I'll, let me just interrupt myself and say, 
I, you know, when I, when I read a portion of Scripture like this, I try and put myself in the context that the people experiencing these things were experiencing. And, I, and it, it's, it's hard to imagine how joyful and how terrifying that would be to experience that kind of experience. To be in a context where you're talking about these things with people that you know, and then Jesus, in His body shows up right there in front of you. But it says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Basically what he's saying is, don't be terrified, don't pass out, relax, peace to you. But it says, but they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Let's pause there. So at this point, it was a clearly established fact that Jesus had already been crucified and killed. Crowds witnessed it. Uh, Soldiers facilitated it. A spear jammed through the lungs and the heart of Christ confirmed it. His corpse had already been placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea after Pilate had confirmed with the centurion that Jesus indeed had been executed. And on top of that, we know that a large stone had been rolled in front of the tomb where Jesus was placed, and then that tomb was sealed, it was made secure, and it was also guarded by Roman soldiers. And yet, in the midst of all of that, seemingly insurmountable circumstances or odds, just as Jesus had promised, he he rose from death on the third day, and he began appearing to his followers. And these conversations are interesting as Jesus appears to these followers And he starts explaining to them things that they didn't initially understand. These people had been deeply shaken. These people had been discouraged. They were disturbed by the harsh torture and the harsh execution that Jesus had received. We know that Jesus appeared to the women at the tomb. He then appeared to the disciples. He also walked with others on the road to Emmaus. And the people, Scripture tells us, were startled at his appearing. And again, even in this passage, Jesus needs to to calm this group of people down because they're so frightened at his appearing and what they actually think they're seeing in front of them is a spirit, but he makes a point to illustrate to them he's not just there as like a, a spirit or an apparition, he has risen, his body has risen from the grave. He's there in front of them in a physical body. In fact, to confirm this, now, if you were in a circumstance like that, what would you use? What would you do to confirm something like that? You know, he invites them to look at the the scars that are upon his resurrected body, but he also sits down and he eats some fish with them. I appreciate that. (laughs) It's like, what do you guys have to eat? You know, he sits down and eats. It's like, does a spirit eat fish? It's like everybody, look, can you imagine everybody took, they're probably looking, they're like, I wonder if we'll see it, this is what my mind would be thinking. I don't know if there's any weirdos, you know, as they're thinking like, you know, is this a a spirit in front of us? It's like, all right, well, can you see through me as the fish gets chewed up and goes down? Like, that's what I would be thinking. Be like, do you see anything? How about those sitting behind him? Do you see, no, you don't see anything, right? He's trying to confirm to them, I'm here right in front, I'm not an apparition. I've risen from the grave just as I promised that I would, I would do, assuring them that they're not seeing a spirit. And I like the question that Jesus asks this group of believers as he appears to them. He says to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why are you troubled 
And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Isn't that a useful question for us to wrestle with too? Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? That's a question I think that's worth wrestling with. Now, in their context, Jesus had already told them multiple times, and this is recorded in the Gospels, but he had told them multiple times that he was going to be executed. He was going to be arrested, executed, and rise from the grave. That's what he told them. He's very clear about it, too. And I don't know if these people thought that when Jesus was saying these things, you know, I don't know if they thought these were maybe allegorical or symbolic statements or what, but when these events began playing out right there in front of them, they were perplexed. They were confused and they were terrified and some of them even scattered. And now here, as Jesus appears before them, resurrected, we're told here that they were, they were terrified, yet at the same time they're also joyful. And I imagine uh, when you look at this circumstance, when you look at what was taking place here, I imagine that to some degree these believers would say, yeah, that was, that was a, a few days, uh, you know, a several day period of time where they were experiencing a great degree of emotional overload, where it felt like they were going back and forth, where all was lost. And now all isn't lost, apparently. And they're going back and forth from grief to joy, grief to joy, perplexed, grief, joy. Wait, he did tell us he was going to do this. Now he actually did it. How do I wrap my mind around this? I've never seen this before. They've never seen something like this take place, and yet Jesus is doing this all right there in front of them. But they're wrestling with doubt. Their hearts are a bit troubled. There's a little bit of confusion on their part. Doubt, by the way, is a very natural thing for us to experience. Uh, you know, during the course of my life, there have been seasons where I've experienced great doubts. And there are seasons in your life, I'm certain, if you were completely transparent and honest, that you would say, all right, this is something I've wrestled with doubt in regard toward, or maybe something over here, or something you've wrestled with doubt in regard to. From time to time, we've all experienced it. It's not uncommon. Likewise, even as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, I think sometimes it's not all that uncommon for us to still doubt God's goodness. You know, I think when we read the Scriptures and the Scriptures remind us of His goodness, it's helpful and it ministers to us because we're like, if we admit it to ourselves, we say, well, sometimes I actually wonder about your goodness, Lord. I think sometimes we doubt God's provisions. I think sometimes we doubt His protection. I think sometimes we doubt His promises for the future because... To believe these things, we have to believe that there's going to come a day when we're going to witness with our own eyes things unlike we have ever seen before. And I think it's difficult for us to trust things that we have not seen. But that's what the Lord joyfully invites us to do. To trust Him for things that we have not yet seen with our eyes. We wrestle with doubt. Now think about this at its core. We personally wrestle with doubt because our hearts prefer to walk by sight. But here's a secret that I think is worth remembering. Walking by sight fosters fear, not trust. What I mean by that is this. If you want to live a fearful life, trust only in the limited and isolated experiences of your life that you have witnessed with your eyes. But if, on the other hand, you want to experience genuine joy, trust Christ, 
who invites us to become confident in Him and rest in the knowledge that our lives and our futures are indeed safe in His hands. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, again, you have Christ reminding us as we wrestle with doubt that we don't need to be startled, that we don't need to be frightened, that we don't need to be troubled, that doubt doesn't need to be something that continually arises in our hearts and in our minds, because we've already seen, we've already now witnessed what Christ has accomplished, exactly what He said He was going to do. Yes, He was crucified, and on the third day, He rose from the grave. And the early believers were still wrestling with this. But here you and I are, having the opportunity ultimately to wrestle with that thought as well, but also being shown the outcome of it. And Christ was seeking to assure His followers that what He says can be banked on, that we can have ultimate confidence in Him. We don't need to spend our lives continually wrestling with doubt. We can have confidence in Christ that He is who He says He is and will do what He promises He will do. And the Scripture goes on to invite ultimately us to ask another question. I think it's this. Do you understand the message the scriptures have been trying to reveal to you? And I phrase it that way because of what it says here in verses 44 to 48. Let me reread these things. It says this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Let's pause there for just a second. If Jesus basically asking us the question or asking this group, the question, you know, do you understand the nature of the message that the Scriptures have been trying to reveal to you? Um, I don't know if you have a, a clear memory of the first time you really sat down to read the Scriptures. Um, and I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't say I have a clear memory of the, of the very first time, but I can remember clearly um, when I started to take a genuine interest in the Scriptures and wanted to learn more about them. And I remember at the time I was actually a camper at summer camp. Many of my, my early um, experiences as a, a young believer happened there. And I overheard my camp counselor reference the fact that his favorite book of the Bible was the book of James. And I was like, oh, interesting. And I really looked up to the guy. He was kind of like what I, what, the, the kind of person I always wanted to be, basically. And I was like, all right. I was like, well, to be like him, maybe I should read the book of James, because I had never read the book of James before. And I was like, all right, let me find that one. Let's see if that's, I think that's a New Testament one. All right, okay, it's toward the end. Oh, good, it's a short one, too. I was like, all right, cool. And so there's a place at the camp called the Rec Hall, and it's a place where if you have a couch that you should have thrown away 15 years ago, you donate it there. And uh, that's where it lives, and you just never look under the cushions. You just pretend that there, you just don't look, right? And when you're 13, you sit on those couches, and you enjoy it, and, um, you know, you get some snacks there at the rec hall. You sit down with your ice cream or with your candy or your soda. And, you, you know, talk to your friends. But I remember the one afternoon, and it was like the middle of the week, maybe toward the end of the week, I, I grabbed a Bible, went down to the rec hall, got some snacks, sat down on the, the, one of the lovely couches, and, um, and I opened up to the book of James. I started uh, reading it. 
Now, of course, the translation that I chose was in the oldest of Englishes, and, uh, and I, I'm looking at it, and I was like, all right, I'm not certain what I'm reading, but my counselor likes this. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I'm like, I don't even know what that word is. But I just kept, I kept reading it for a little bit, and I'll be honest with you, um, <laughs> I think it's partly, majorly, because that was a very comfy couch, and it was toward the end of the week of camp, and I was exhausted. And before I knew it, the book was resting on my chest, and I was enjoying a nice cat nap in the middle of the week. And uh, I remember after that being like, okay, no, I, I think I need to value this a little bit more. I need to, need to kind of like sit in a way that I'm not going to fall asleep. So I would sit at a desk to actually read the scriptures. And I have to say, as an adult, as someone who reads the scriptures each day now, the more I read the Bible, even when I'm just reading like a small part of it, the more I read it, the more interesting it becomes to me. It, I can honestly say before you, it is no longer a chore to read the scriptures. At one season of my life, it was absolutely a chore and a bore because I wasn't understanding what I was reading. I do not still feel that way. It becomes more and more interesting to me as I read God's Word. And honestly, I, I've begun to feel that, that every time I start to become familiar with the content of the scriptures, and then I reread them again, I feel like deeper forms of information, deeper forms of application start to become apparent to me as the Holy Spirit applies the teaching of the Scriptures to my heart. And I'm certain that many of you have the same exact testimony as you read the Word of God. And one of the most fascinating aspects of the Bible is that the Holy Spirit inspired it to be progressively written over the course of about 1,500 years. It's a long period of time. read this quote recently. I want to share it with you. The author said, even though it's really 66 individual books written on three continents in three different languages over a period of approximately 1,500 years by more than 40 authors who came from many walks of life, the Bible remains one unified book from beginning to end without contradiction. And when you read through the pages of the Bible, when you read through the pages of Scripture, and by the way, if you're intimidated by looking at the Bible and realizing that it's kind of a large book with a lot of content, I was just talking to somebody recently who bought her first Bible. And uh, she's about 10 years older than me, just bought her first Bible, asked me what Bible to get, so I made a recommendation to her. She bought it. She was shocked at how big it was. She's like, okay, um, I had no concept that it was, and it's a study Bible too, so it's got study notes. She's like, you just told me to get a book that's 2,700 pages long. I was like, yes, and you don't have to read every page the same day, right? Even if yesterday you read zero pages and today you read one page, isn't that a start, right? You don't have to read hundreds of pages in a day if you're new to reading the Scriptures. Read a page. Read a paragraph. Read a sentence. Start however small you want to start, but start somewhere. And when you read the pages of the Bible, you begin to see that the content of each book has a theme. And you start watching this theme, and this theme is ultimately trying to point your heart and my heart to trust in Jesus Christ. Whether you're in Genesis, whether you're in Revelation, whether you're somewhere in between, it's all trying to point us to Jesus. And so following his resurrection, you have Jesus attempting to qualify this or explain this, not qualify, but maybe the better word would be clarify this for his followers. He's trying to make this abundantly clear to them. You know, he explained to them that the entire Old Testament, 
So they didn't call it the Old Testament at the time that he was saying these things for a particular reason. You know what the reason is? It's a trivia question. Because the New Testament was just about to being written, you know, to, to be written, right? So if the New Testament isn't written yet, you don't call the other one the old one yet, right? But in that context, they would refer to it sometimes as the law and the prophets, or they'd call it sometimes the law and the prophets and the writings. Here in this particular context, you have Jesus referring to the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And what he's saying there is the books of the Old Testament, you know, the Old Testament scriptures, right? And he explained to them that the entire Old Testament, whether you're reading the books of law, whether you're reading the books of prophecy, whether you're reading the books of poetry, it all points to him. Time and time again, God's people were being told in those portions of Scripture that, that the Savior was coming, that he would be born, that, you know, they were told the family line, in fact, in which the Savior would come. Some of the words that Jesus would say. I remember the first time I was reading in the Psalms and came across an apt description of the crucifixion and the very words that Christ would say. And I was like, whoa. That's all there. And you watch as Christ fulfilled it. The Old Testament Scriptures explain the way Christ would die. When He would die. If you're reading through the book of Daniel. And just count up the days. Do the math from what it tells you in that passage. Or that book. Why He would experience death. You know, along with the fact that He would rise from death to offer salvation to the nations. It's all there in the Old Testament Scriptures, and Jesus was making that abundantly clear to this group of of early believers. But it's also true that unless the Lord opens up our minds to understand these things, it's going to seem like foolishness to us. We're not going to ultimately understand what we're reading. I believe the Lord needs to open up our eyes to understand the depth of what we're reading. The simple fact that the Creator of all mankind would take on flesh like his creation and allow himself to be humiliated and tortured and killed by the very people he made so that he could pay for their sin. It seems like foolishness to those who don't believe. But that's exactly what Christ came to this earth to do. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Naturally speaking, that message would sound like foolishness, but supernaturally speaking, the Lord brings to our mind an understanding of its significance. And still, just as Jesus promised, He suffered for our sin, then He rose to secure victory over sin while proving to us that He is indeed God in the flesh. And as Jesus states in this particular passage of Scripture that we're looking at from Luke 24, the story of what he's accomplishing continues even beyond his resurrection. He tells us that his will for this era of human history is that his gospel, the message of, as it says here in this passage, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. That's a part of his redemptive story that's still being written. That's a part that we have the joyful privilege to actually participate in with him. As he has opened up our eyes to begin to see our need for him, he also gives us the words to speak to others so that they would also see their need for him. And the totality of the scriptures has been pointing our hearts 
to this very fact, our need for Christ. Do we understand this? Is this a message and a mission that's ringing loud and clear in our hearts and in our minds? Because Christ desires that that be something that's abundantly clear to us. One other question that I think this portion of Scripture invites us to ask is this. Do you appreciate the nature of the power that you've been blessed with? Look at verse 49. It says, and behold, so Jesus is saying this here to his followers. He says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I'm glad it's starting to feel like spring. Anyone else glad? Um, I've noticed that the onion grass is starting to show up in my front lawn. I'm not usually happy to see that, but I'm happy that it signifies that I think winter's just about done, although I don't know if you noticed the streets, you know, they brined, they salted the streets, because I guess there's supposed to be like some sort of like nuisance snow coming this evening. Whatever, right? <laughs> what well, it's April. I know it's going away, right? It's just nature's April Fool's joke on us. It's just a trick, right? It's a nuisance snow. That's nothing to us. We're not afraid. Although a few weeks ago, as uh, we were getting like, you know, a foot of heavy, wet snow that was breaking every beautiful tree in Langhorne, I was like, oh, please stop. Please just stop. And then you see on the news, oh, by the way, don't be surprised if your power goes out. And it's like, please our utilities are buried underground in my neighborhood, you know? They, our, our power lines, are, they're all under the ground, so they can't be knocked down, except when you go one street over from our neighborhood, the utilities are all above ground, so the trees took those lines out. And we had no power. And I was amazed as our family sat around our house, and um, you know, we're just sitting there. Isn't it amazing like, how having no electricity in your home really does change the culture of your home? really, really quickly. You know, if anyone goes near the fridge, it's like, don't open that. Do not open that. We have cheese in there. There's cheese. We have to maintain every piece of refrigeration that is left in that metal box. Do not open it. Don't open it. No cheese. Eat crackers. Take something from the pantry. You can open that. Don't open that fridge. (laughs) Right? And then, I, you know, there's no internet. So, like, as your phone dies, you're like, all right, I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on in the rest of the world anymore. Like, I hope, I hope this is, is this the apocalypse? And, uh, you know, we're sitting around the house, and our, you know, we have a forced air heat pump, and we don't have heat, <laughs> so everybody's under blankets, and uh, we're just kind of sitting around, and the house is getting dark, and I noticed way, way earlier than it normally does, our house was silent, just silent. And everybody was just like, it was almost like everybody hibernated. Everyone just kind of sat and like found a spot. You know, we had like a candle lit. It's funny, like we had, most of the candles we have in our house are like scented candles. So like we had the apple room, we had the winter scents room. We had like all these scents combining. Like the whole, so the house smelled really good. We were all starving for, you know, food that we couldn't touch. Uh, Huddled together, freezing and not talking. All because for a little bit we didn't have power. I think we were out of power for like 12 to 14 hours. It wasn't even all that bad. But it felt bad. <laughs> and when we got the second storm, I was like, not again, not so soon. You know, like not, I, thankfully the power didn't go out. 
when you look at this portion of Scripture, Jesus talks about power. And obviously, he's not talking about electricity, but he's talking about power. What is the nature of this power that Jesus is speaking about as he closes out this section? He recognizes that power is something we want. He also recognizes that power is actually something that we need, particularly as you and I and all believers seek to live as his followers in the midst of a fallen world. We need power to do that. It's not a trivial thing to do, right? And at the time, Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, stay in Jerusalem for a little while, and then you're going to be clothed with power. And I imagine as they were listening to this, again, in their minds, they're thinking, what are these amazing things that he's telling us? Like, how does this all work out? What is he saying? They obey him. They stay put. But he said he'd be sending uh, specifically the promise of his father to them. And at that point, that they would have the power that they needed to fulfill the work that he had called them to do. What was Jesus referring to in this conversation. What's he talking about? He's talking about this power, this promise of the Father. What's he telling them about? Well, Jesus was speaking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. Scripture reveals to us that God exists in three co-eternal, co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus was now returning to the Father. As he did so, he would send the Holy Spirit who would live within and work through every single person who trusted in Jesus and received his gift of salvation. Do you realize, now think about this not just from their perspective, think about this from our perspective in the context in which we live right here and right now, but do you realize that if your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you genuinely trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit likewise lives within you, and He grants you divine power, He grants you divine counsel, He grants you divine wisdom. These are all things that Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit does in everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. And I bring that up, first of all, because Christ brings that up in this passage, And I also bring it up just from an applicational standpoint because I think it can be easy at times to feel powerless in this world. I think at times we all wrestle with that, right? Sometimes we just feel absolutely powerless. I don't know if uh, you had the the joyful experience like I had uh, during my youth to watch professional wrestling every time it was on TV. Um, And obviously that's activity that was strictly reserved just for my youth. And I have no idea that next Sunday is WrestleMania. Um, But anyway, regardless. But when I was a kid, I was always fascinated watching it, particularly with one particular hold that I saw some of the guys apply, the sleeper hold. Do you know what the sleeper hold was? Anyone remember what the sleeper hold? Remember Brutus Beefcake? He always used the sleeper hold. Sleeper hold is, you know, the guy comes behind you. He he, uh, scoops his arm right under your neck, and then he squeezes from the back of your head. And then you watch the guys flail with their arms for a little bit in great theatrics. And uh, then all of a sudden, they're asleep. And it's like, look at that. He's unconscious. The guy's going to get a haircut. The barber's going to cut his hair. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. It's better that you don't. Brutus Beefcake, he used to cut people's hair after he put them asleep. And they'd wake up, and they'd be like, you shaved my head. What happened? 
That's great theater. All right. That'll be for another message. <laughs> but, you, you know, they grow weaker and weaker and weaker until they fell asleep. And sometimes I think in a very real way, and maybe this isn't the best analogy to use, but it was what came to my mind, okay? But I wonder if the concerns and the worries of this world have us feeling like we're in a perpetual sleeper hold. Can I make that kind of application? What I mean by that is this. How much of our time is spent dwelling on the concerns uh, or the worries of life that feel like they're choking us and causing us to just feel like we're weak and we're powerless because it's all we ever think about and it's all we ever dwell on and it's all we ever talk about and it's all we ever read about, right? And the concerns and the worries of this world, it's just like it's choking us and making us feel limp and making us feel weak. And how much time do we spend focused on that compared to the fact that we can recognize and appreciate the power that we've been given through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which Jesus assured his followers that they would absolutely have, which Scripture reveals to us is part of our life and our experience now as we trust in Jesus Christ. Consider this. The presence of the Holy Spirit within you also guarantees that just as death could not defeat Jesus Christ, death will not be able to defeat you either. Death will not be able to defeat you. How much time do we spend actually worried about death? Probably a lot. We worry about death maybe even on behalf of those that we love and care about more than we even think about it in regard to ourselves. And when you think about what Jesus is referring to here in this portion of Scripture, and the totality of what Scripture reveals to us, as we trust in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, just as death could not defeat Jesus, Scripture tells us that now death will not be able to defeat us either. Christ's victory is now shared with you. Christ's victory becomes your victory. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's the promise that the Lord has revealed to us that He's given to us. You haven't been left powerless in this world. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that means living within you right now is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, which means sin cannot crush you any longer. Satan's intentions to destroy your life won't be victorious. Death has lost its grip, uh, the grip of fear, ultimately, that Scripture describes, Death has lost its grip of fear that was over you because the Holy Spirit now lives within you and has granted you His divine power. Today is we have the privilege, and it truly is a privilege, to be able to come together and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. I think Jesus wants us to also remember the significance of what this means for us. This isn't just a historical event that we we think a little bit about. This is something that Christ accomplished on our behalf that completely changes our life, our destiny, our future. 
meaning we don't need any longer to wander in doubt. We don't need to be confused about the message that the Lord's seeking to communicate to us in His Word. We don't need to live like we're powerless in this world. We don't need to be troubled. In Christ, and He's already demonstrated it, in Christ, everything is going to work out. As you and I trust in Him, we can be assured of that reality as a guarantee. Our resurrected Savior will one day raise us up to be with Him. And we'll experience an eternal joy that will not fade and will not be taken away from us. That's a joy worth celebrating as we recognize who Christ is and what He's come to this earth to do. And I'll say this today. If you have trusted in Christ, rejoice in that fact. Remind yourself of these truths. Apply these truths to your day-to-day lives and the way that you think about your day-to-day experience. If you've never come to faith in Christ, if you're still on the edge, if you're still wrestling with doubt, if you're still curious if all of these things could be true, I would encourage you to go directly to the source, read the Scriptures, and allow the Lord to convince your heart and your mind. Wrestle with these things. Examine whether or not they're actually true. And if they are true, which they are, don't let there be anything that delays you from trusting in Christ for yourself. Don't just observe others experiencing the joy of resurrected life through Jesus Christ. Experience it too. Let it be your experience as well. And Christ reminds us in His Word that we don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to be good enough to get it. The whole reason He came to this earth was because we couldn't do any of those things. We were lost unless He came to find us. We were doomed unless He came to rescue us. And Jesus looks at you and He looks at me with compassion and He offers Himself to us. He will forgive your sin. He will give you new resurrected life. He will steal the fear of death from you because you'll look at Him and you'll recognize that just as Christ rose from the grave, so too will you if the Holy Spirit lives within you as you trust in Him. That's His promise. And He's already proven it's true because He did it. And His disciples were wrestling with this and seeing this for the first time. But I'll tell you what, they went out and they risked their lives telling people all throughout their known world at the time. And here you and I are on the other side of the world. And as that message was passed person to person to person to person through the centuries, it reached our ears here in Pennsylvania. That in and of itself is a miracle. And the reason it reached our ears here is because the Lord desired it to. And He made certain that it did. Don't waste the opportunity that Christ has given you to trust in Him and to receive these blessings that He has joyfully secured on our behalf. All we have to do is believe in Him and welcome Him to change our lives. He will change our lives. He'll give us hope and a future that's beyond anything we've ever seen and experienced. And He invites us to walk with Him faithfully daily with power that He supplies to do it. It never rests on your strength or my strength. It only rests on Him. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank You so much for the privilege to be able to come together today to look at Your Word and to read the things that You talked about with Your followers and to see and experience a taste of their amazement. After witnessing and experiencing Your arrest and the torture You were put through and Your brutal crucifixion, to then see you in the flesh and eat food with you. Lord, they were amazed at what they were seeing, but ultimately, as you clothed them with power, as your Holy Spirit took up residence within them, you empowered them to share this message with others, that others would come to trust in you. And again, Lord, here we are, hearing this message as well. Many of us trusting in you, some of us still wrestling with what we need to wrestle with as we, as we come before you and, and just kind of meditate on these things. But Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be a single one of us gathered in this room who doesn't come to faith in you, Jesus, and experience the joy of a resurrected life. Lord, we're grateful for these things. We're grateful that you allow us to see them and experience them. We're grateful for the joy that you supply to us. We're grateful for the power that you give to us so that we don't need to rely on our strength as we seek to follow you. Obviously, Lord, as we trust in you, it's your desire that we follow you faithfully. But Lord, I'm grateful just even from a personal standpoint that that doesn't rest on my own strength to complete it. That every day that I live is a day that I'm supposed to trust in you. Every day that I live is a day that I'm supposed to be walking by faith in you. And Lord, we recognize that it's so easy for us to walk by sight. But all that does is produce fear and regret. We're forced in that kind of context to rely just on our own natural experiences and the limited things that we've seen during our short stay here on this earth so far. Lord, when we trust in you, we're trusting in the one who can see eternity past and eternity future. The one who can tell us prophetically what you're about to do and then fulfill it to the letter. Lord, thank you for opening the eyes of the early believers to understand the scriptures. And we pray that you'd open our eyes and open our hearts as well, that we would understand them also and recognize that you've been trying to ultimately convince our hearts and our minds that you are who you say you are. So Lord Jesus, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to come before you today and worship you. Thank you, Lord, for defeating sin, Satan, and death when you rose from the grave. And thank you for sharing that victory with all who trust in you. Lord, we pray that each and every one of us, whether it be the adults upstairs or the children downstairs, would be counted among those who trust in you and have experienced the victory that you share. We thank you for this all. We pray this all in Jesus' name.